At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is the Greg Peterson Experience on VSIN, the sports betting network. We've made it to hour number three of the Greg Peterson experience. It is myself, Greg Peterson, taking you through your, I guess we can now call it Saturday morning over here. I'm from Circus, so we've got a whole lot going on. We've got the big giant TVs, although they're not necessarily airing a lot of live sports right now. Everything for the night is done. The big game of intrigue that wound up going down in college football. You wound up seeing a very nice cover from UNLV. It was a gritty cover. They were unable to get the outright win. They were actually in good shape for much of the game. But with that said, Fresno State winds up getting a 38-30 to win in that one. But certainly going to be intriguing to see if we're able to have a little bit more success when it comes to these underdogs as well. Because you wound up seeing it with the UNLV and what we're going to be taking a look at in this next hour. College football. Lots and lots of it as we've got a lot of big spreads that are going to be going down on this Saturday. You're just going to find that. When it comes to non-conference play in general, you're going to find whole lots of big spreads. We've saw it with Fresno State technically last night being unable to cover that one, but two teams that we wound up excluding from our look at the college football playoff just last segment is the teams that are going to be two of the biggest that we're going to find in college football on Saturday. That would be Alabama and Georgia. We're going to take a look at those two teams. And the reason why is because even if both of these teams wind up losing when it comes to the SEC title game, whichever one winds up losing, if it is Alabama versus Georgia, like we all expect it to be. Both of those teams still going to be in very good footing to be able to make the college football playoff. And what I think is really intriguing when it comes to betting on these teams at this point of the season is just noting that both of these teams are teams that are going to call off the dogs a little bit. I just still remember from the 2019 season when we wound up having Tua Tagovailoa under center for the Alabama Crimson Tide that Alabama in the first quarter and the first half in general. They would cover all those numbers and then they would wind up calling off the dogs. They'd be like, oh, you know what? The Citadel, Mercer, what have you. We're going to let you have your moment in the sun. We'll let you score your touchdown. That's the way that Nick Saban has really been operating with this Alabama team their most recent couple years. And it's going to be Southern Miss hitting the road to face off against Alabama on this Saturday. And Alabama laying a whopper of about 45 and a half points. If you're taking a look at this, you're going to be finding a couple 45s out there, but they are laying a whole bunch of points. And let me tell you, if I were taking a look at this, if I'm taking a look at anything when it comes to Alabama, at this point, it's just the first half, just because when it comes to Alabama, I do think that you're going to see this team come out and they're going to dump truck Southern Miss in the first half. They're going to get their business done. And then in the second half, they are going to be playing it a little bit more, I guess you could call it strategically. They're going to be bringing in a lot of the walk-ons, what have you. So I think that that's the way that you've got to be playing Alabama, much like we've seen in the last few years. This is an Alabama bunch. I think that they're going to get off to hot starts time and time again. And we even saw it in week one in that Miami game. You wound up seeing Alabama tossing the ball all over the yard. If you wound up having the over in that game, I sincerely do feel for you because 
That was a game that looked like it was going to be a dead over. And then the game just wound up dying as both teams just wound up running out the clock. So that is something that you've got to be taking a look at. And it's important when it comes to the total as well. You've got a total of 58 and a half, which that pretty much implies that you're going to be having a score of something like a 52 to six that winds up going down in this one. So that does mean that Southern Miss is only expected to score right around six or seven points. So if Alabama winds up giving up any sort of touchdown to Southern Miss, you've got to figure that Southern Miss is actually going to be in okay shape to be able to cover this game. And for Southern Miss, are they a team that you necessarily want to be betting a whole bunch of money on on the money line? No, because for one, you're not going to be finding this money line in too many places because the spread is just so ridiculous. But it is also a case in which you've got a Southern Miss team that they come in and they are going to be just getting completely trounced. But at the same time, I do think that they've got a chance to be able to hold within the number. And the big reason why when it comes to Southern Miss is that this is a bunch that they've been able to play some halfway decent defense. They wound up losing last week against Troy by kind of 21-9. And I know that Grambling isn't much, but they were able to hold Grambling scoreless. So if you're taking a look at anything, I would say the fact that Ty Keys doesn't necessarily do the world's greatest job at the quarterback spot means that they're going to try to run it a little bit more. And Southern Miss, they've got a very intriguing running back. Frank Gore. Allow me to finish that. Frank Gore Jr. Yeah, I feel old right now. I remember watching Frank Gore as a kid. And now his son is apparently rushing for Southern Miss. But you've got that going on. And Frank Gore Jr. has actually been very solid for Southern Miss so far this year. He's averaging on a per-game basis right in the neighborhood of about 90 yards per contest. So he's actually been very good as a freshman for this team, which I find to be very funny. But that's one of those places in which I'm going to be taking a look at plus prices. What you also want to be taking a look at for this college football Saturday is you want to be taking a look at some home underdogs because what we've seen with college football so far this year, home underdogs against the spread 31-19-3. So they're hitting at a clip of a little bit north of 60%. They've been able to do a great job with that regard, and I'm going to be hitting on one home dog in the next segment that I don't necessarily like, but you just take a look all around college football. You're not going to be finding too many of them because, let's face it, you wind up getting all the bye games that wind up going down. You get a bunch of teams in which they are just now starting in conference play. Typically, you get a little bit of a conference cupcake, but when it comes to this Baylor versus Iowa State game, I think that this might be an intriguing spot to take a touchdown with Baylor just because with Iowa State, You've got Brock Purdy, at quarterback, and this is someone that a few years ago I was very high on. I thought that Brock Purdy was going to be able to do a great job with Brock Purdy. I found out what the Purdy means. It's more like Brock Purdy average. You take a look at what he's been able to do this year, and against Northern Iowa in week one, that team was very much in danger of being upset. Brock Purdy so far this year, he hasn't necessarily done a lot with it. Three touchdowns, three interceptions. He's been very mundane. He has not necessarily been able to get the ball to some of his skill guys like Xavier Hutchinson has really had to do a little bit of everything because nobody else outside of Hutchinson has more than eight catches on this team. Now, Brees Hall, I think, is a very good running back. And he was able to really show through a little bit more last week after he wound up having a little bit of a rough start to the year. And that has been very befuddling, the fact that he wound up having fewer than 70 yards in the first two weeks of the season. But I do take a look at Iowa State. I do think that they're a little bit vulnerable now. We wound up seeing Baylor have a little bit of tough time with Texas State earlier this season. But I take a look at Baylor, and I do think that the fact that you've got the new regime in there, it is doing a very solid job for this team. As we know with Baylor, this is a bunch of which they've had their ups and their downs in recent years, to say the least. 
when it comes to just everything that you've got going on with that organization. But I do take a look at Baylor. I think that they've got a good chance of being able to, at minimum, hold in this game, if not win it outright. We were seeing just a whole bunch of value with them. You're not going to be able to find as much value with Akron, who's catching 49 points against Ohio State. And I don't know if it's necessarily enough, but what you do want to know with Ohio State is that C.J. Stroud is dealing with injuries. So that does need to be taken into account when it comes to your handicapping. It's always important to be able to take a look at these injury reports just before the game. But you take a look at another big spread. We were starting it off with the one out there in the SEC with Southern Miss and Alabama. Georgia is going to be going to Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt is catching 35 points. Now, am I going to advocate and say that Vanderbilt is going to shock the world and they're going to be able to pull off this Herculean upset? No, but I actually used to work for the flagship station of the Vanderbilt Commodores. You just know that with this Vanderbilt team, they are always going to be trying to build themselves on defense and trying to run the ball. But they've gotten a little bit more out of the passing game than they have in the past. I th feel like they've got a little bit of something here with Ken Seals. He's been able to do a little bit of a better job of giving this team a vertical threat, only completing about 55% of his passes. But you can tell that this is a team that they're a little bit more willing to take their shots. You've got a guy in Rocco Griffin who hasn't necessarily been able to do the world's greatest job of being able to run the ball as this team has just two touchdowns on the ground. But I do think that you're going to be able to get a little bit of something with this Vanderbilt team. And I just think that this might be a case in which they might wind up covering this number just because I don't know if Georgia is going to be able to score 35 points in this game. So this might be a case in which you want to be able to take the under and you want to be able to take Vanderbilt with the points in this spot because they could wind up both cashing in one fail swoop with this Georgia team. No question. They do have some skilled players. And I think that was described best by South Carolina over the weekend. I thought that it was absolutely hilarious as Mr. Beamer's son, he winds up saying that the reason why South Carolina was unable to run the ball on Georgia is because they've got like 110 stars on defense. And it's really true. You just take a look at that front seven and it is absolutely nasty, but I do take a look at JT Daniels as well. He wound up missing a game due to injuries since Bennett was able to come in and do a solid job there. But with Daniels, he hasn't necessarily looked right now. When you're playing against Clemson, no question you're not going to have the world's greatest stats. And against South Carolina, he was able to throw for three touchdowns, but he also did wind up having an interception in that game. When it comes to JT Daniels, I think that he's a solid quarterback. I don't necessarily think that he's a great running. He's a great quarterback. When you take a look at more of the running games, Amir White is where I think that their bread is going to be buttered. I think that he's going to be running the ball quite a bit. When you've got Kendall Milton, who's able to do a good job of being able to relieve him as well, that is a good one-two punch. But I do think that Vanderbilt is going to be able to hold up a little bit more defensively. And we've seen it with Vanderbilt in recent years, them being able to play at home, being able to play in front of that Nashville crowd, and just being able to provide a little bit of resistance. I think that this is a case in which Vanderbilt should be more like a four-touchdown underdog than a five-touchdown underdog. Now, it's one of those things where I think that you could hear me saying that it's not like this is a team that is going to go out there and they're necessarily going to put Georgia on upset alert, but you got to feel like if Georgia's up by, say, like a 28-3 to in the fourth quarter, it's going to be a case in which they just wind up handing off the ball quite a bit. And you do want to know with Georgia that they don't necessarily have a lot of skill guys on the outside. Brock Bowers is someone that I do like at the tight end spot, but this is also a wide receiver core that is lacking a little bit. And I do think that the Vanderbilt secondary is going to be able to do a solid job of being able to do a good job of being able to contain JT Daniels as well. So I'm looking at taking a bunch of points with a lot of these underdogs. When it comes to college football, we've seen underdogs have a relatively solid go of it here in the early part of the season. And we've also seen unders do really well. 
that was more specifically week one in which something like 60 some odd percent wound up hitting to the under we've seen a little bit more progression and a little bit of higher numbers these recent couple weeks but i certainly do think that unders are going to be at a premium as well and at a premium college football we're talking about more of it next right here on the greg peterson experience on vsin the sports betting network on the other side on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. We are back here on the Vegas Sets and Information Network for the Greg Peterson Experience News Show. Want to appreciate everyone that wound up doing work behind the scenes with this. Wyatt, Nick, you guys are absolutely awesome. So big shout out to you guys because without them, the show does not wind up going and operating as smoothly as it does. So Big thanks to them and a big thanks to the great state of Wisconsin for providing us with a tremendous matchup that is going to be going down on this college football Saturday. So let's dive right into that one as you've got the Wisconsin Badgers playing host to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and you've got a little bit of a revenge matchup in this one as Jack Cohen, the former Wisconsin Badgers quarterback, is going to be lining up under center for Notre Dame. Notre Dame is catching six and a half points and this is certainly a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Notre Dame and this is a spot in which I could wind up looking at an outright upset with Notre Dame, being able to get them right around a plus 190, plus $2 in some spots when it comes to the money line. That is something that does appeal to me because you take a look at this Notre Dame team, and I do recognize that they wound up having a little bit of issue when it came to their game a little bit ago against to, against against Toledo. But at the same time, this is a team that you wound up seeing them come out, move the ball very well in their week one matchup against Florida State. Obviously, they wound up letting Florida State back in the game. But with Cohen, I think that he's going to be able to come out. He's going to be able to have revenge on his mind against a Wisconsin Badgers team, in which the defense is very solid. No offense or buts about it. You always know what you're going to get from Wisconsin on defense, but are they going to have enough offense to be able to hold it down and be able to just win this game? Because I just go back to the last time they wound up having a big-time matchup. That was against Penn State a few weeks ago, and they just could not punch the ball in. You wound up seeing Graham Mertz just not do a great job of being able to take care of the ball either. They were able to get up off the mat with that win over Eastern Michigan, but I just am out on the Wisconsin Badgers right now. I think that this is a game in which you take a look at the total of 45. I don't know who winds up scoring more than 21 points in this game, so I'd be taking a look at the under because the only way I think that you wind up getting an over in this spot is if this game winds up going to overtime, and I could see a game wind up being like 14-14, 17-17 at the end of regulation and go into overtime, and you wind up having a calamity happen where both teams wind up scoring a touchdown, and then it just becomes a little bit of a messy over situation there, but when it comes to this Wisconsin Badgers offense, there's just no reason for me to have a whole lot of optimism with them. Meanwhile, with Notre Dame, defense has been a little bit shoddy. We wound up seeing that in their Week 2 matchup against the Rockets of Toledo, but at the same time, just one of these cases in which I just feel a little bit worse about the Badgers than I do about the Notre Dame fighting Irish. Now the Badgers are going to get behind their team. They're going to be doing the jump around, but we did see that in week one, not necessarily be able to help them out against Penn State. So if you're looking for an underdog here, I think that Notre Dame has a chance at an outright upset at minimum. Taking the six, six and a half points is great because 
If the Wisconsin Badgers wind up winning it, I would say it's probably going to be a by a field goal, if not maybe a little bit less. So that is an underdog that I can certainly get behind. Not necessarily going to be able to get behind this home underdog. NC State is going to be playing also Clemson. I think that this is a spot in which you wind up seeing Clemson come out very, very angry like a child that wound up having his lunch money stolen. And they wind up just absolutely laying the lumber to an NC State team that I don't think is very good personally. And take a look at NC State. They wound up having their big game of the year be at Mississippi State. They were only able to muster 10 points. This is a Clemson defense that is still very solid. The offense with DJU, it hasn't necessarily been great, but I think that DJU, much like he wound up doing against Notre Dame back in the 2020 season, is going to come out. He's going to have a spirited effort. I do think that what we need to focus on with this Clemson team is the fact that the loss of Travis ATN is much bigger than a lot of people were leading on because we were all talking about how Clemson was going to be able to survive without Trevor Lawrence and that situation. But what I think is really big is the fact that you lose ATN as well, which is hurt DJU. But you take a look at this NC State defense. It's solid. It's nothing great. It's nothing terrible. This front five, I think it's going to be able to do an okay job at the point of attack. But I do think that Clemson's line is going to be able to do a better job than them. And then when you take a look at NC State, you've got Devin Larry, who's someone that is someone I just think is okay. I think he's going to be able to give you a little bit of something when it comes to not turning the ball over, but not turning the ball over means that he also needs to put the ball in the end zone a couple times. I think that he's going to have a tough time with his front seven of Clemson being able to provide pressure. So I think that he's going to do a good job of being able to take care of the ball, but he doesn't necessarily have much of a run game to be able to back him up. I think that this is going to be a spot in which you wind up taking a look at this NC State team. They're going to just have a tough time scoring in general on Clemson. I think that Clemson is going to get back to the Tigers that we've seen in past years. So I'm looking at laying 10 points here with Clemson. I wouldn't doubt it if you wind up seeing a lot of closing totals or closing sides more around 10 and a half, maybe more like even 11-ish when it's all said and done. So I just don't think that there's a lot of value with that underdog. I do think that there is a lot of value with this short favorite though. Michigan State playing us to Nebraska. If there is anything that we know about Nebraska the last 10 years, they have been very good at one thing. Disappointing. You've got a Michigan State team that they've done a solid job on defense so far this year. I don't think that this is necessarily the world's greatest coaching regime that they've got in right now. But at the same time, they have been able to right the ship a little bit more with Michigan State. It's always been a question of offense because the defense has always been there with this bunch. The offense has been a hot mess to say the least. You take a look at them. They're going to be laying in this spot right around four points. It's actually come down because we wound up seeing a lot of four and a half and fives a little bit earlier. And I think that this is a tremendous spot. I take a look at Adrian Martinez, a guy that has been in college literally since I think the dawn of time. And he's had his issues just being able to maneuver in big spots. He's looked a little bit better in recent weeks, but you take a look at the competition that he's looked a little bit better against and not necessarily great in the game against Oklahoma. He wound up having a critical turnover, wound up taking five sacks against Buffalo and Fordham. He was able to tear it up, but I mean, at this point, I think I might be able to go out there and be able to throw for 250 yards against the Fordham Rams. So that's not necessarily something that you want. And then you take a look at Michigan State. They do a good job of being able to control the clock. They do a great job of being able to run it with their running back in Mr. Kenneth Walker the third. He's been able to do a nice job all year long for this Michigan State team. And I think that that's going to be the key. You've got a Nebraska team that they don't necessarily do the world's greatest job on the ground. You've got a guy in Walker the third who has just been able to carve up defenses these first couple weeks of the season against Miami. 172 yards was not able to find the end zone. But at Northwestern, not one, not two, but three, but four 
touchdowns. So I take a look at Michigan State. I think that they are back and they are for real. And you just take a look at the entire middle of the Big Ten. And I'm actually very bullish on them. I think that Nebraska is going to be a little bit of a bottom feeder team. But even though in the last hour, I wound up saying that I didn't necessarily like Iowa to be able to make a run into the college football playoff. I still think that they're a team that they're good enough to be able to win nine, 10 games. I think that they're a team that they're good enough to be a thorn in the side of pretty much everyone that they wind up playing this year. You take a look at Maryland. They're a team that I think is going badly under the radar as well with the Terps. They were able to get a very nice week one win over West Virginia. You take a look at Tega Vailoa at quarterback. He's been able to do a solid job with them. I think what is really big for a lot of these middle teams in the Big Ten is that they just know to not turn the ball over, which I think is so critical. Now you've got an Illinois bunch that they've been a little bit rough. They're going to be going on the road against Purdue. And I recognize that Purdue as a favorite actually have the worst just straight up win percentage record of any team ever since 2018 in college football. But I take a look at Illinois and I think that their win against Nebraska was fool's gold. I think that the Boilermakers being right around a 10 and a half to 11 point favorite is actually a good spot for them because I think that Jack Plummer is going to go out there and have a big performance. We've seen it with Plummer in the first few weeks of the season. He has not turned the ball over. He's thrown for seven touchdowns. He has been very dominant. And then you just take a look at the plethora of runners that the team has. They've got three guys that have given you between 23 and 27 carries. All these guys present a little bit of something they all bring their own idiosyncrasies to the table with this team. And you've got a guy on the outside in David Bell, who I think is one of the more underrated wide receivers. He's already got three touchdowns and 320 yards so far this year. So I do think that Purdue is going to be able to cover a nice number of 11 here for this Saturday in the Big Ten. And I think that the Big Ten is going to have a lot of very close games to say the least this season. I just think that what is big is taking a look at some of these teams that are maybe catching points at home. I think that those are really the value that you're able to find because so many of these teams, when it comes to the big time, you're able to take a look at an Illinois. You're able to take a look at a Northwestern, Iowa, Penn State, Wisconsin. They all really build themselves on the defensive side of the ball. So being able to get those points, what feels like maybe like a 10 in one of these games, that is going to feel like a little bit more like two touchdowns in a lot of these other venues just because you're going to have fewer possessions in the game because these teams really look to grind it out by being able to run the ball. You don't necessarily have as much of an aerial attack. And as we know, when it gets down to the colder temperatures in November, even in later October as well, it is harder for these teams to be able to throw the ball as well. So that lends a little bit of value as well. So I think that handicapping the Big Ten when it comes to this college football season is going to be very intriguing. I think that what else is going to be very intriguing is what we're going to be able to see out of some of these other conferences as well. I want to be hitting on the SEC, the fact that you've got a whole bunch of big giant point spreads that are going to be going down there. But coming up next, we are going to be looking at some of these teams that are away from the Big Ten. I think that it's very important that we give a little bit of love to some of these teams that might be outside the Power Five. So we're going to be doing that because we do have a locked and loaded college football Saturday. So we're going to be looking at so many of these games that are going to be coming down on the Saturday that might be on the that might be under the radar next right here on the Greg Peterson Experience with myself, Greg Peterson, right here on VSIN. You're experiencing Hoops Peterson himself on VSIN, the sports betting network. Make this football season your best sports betting season ever. Start your free trial of vcin.com to get full access 
to our sports betting experts, including 24-7 video streaming, daily best bets emails, betting splits with where the money and the tickets are going with percentages on every single game, plus full access to vcin.com data and analysis. You get everything vcin has to offer for only $22 per month. So sign up today at vcin.com slash subscribe. We're back here for the Greg Peterson experience. It is myself, Greg Peterson, broadcasting live from lovely Circa. The sports book behind me is absolutely magnificent, and it is absolutely magnificent magnificent that we've got a college football Saturday to be able to look forward to. And don't worry, I know that many of you guys like the fact that I dive into the baseball betting board every single day. We're going to be diving into more of the MLB games in the final segment. I'll be giving out my New York Post play of the day as well, so be on the lookout for that. And also be on the lookout for a couple of teams that are a little bit more under the radar that could provide you some value. I've always been of a believer that it doesn't matter where your winning ticket winds up coming from. All you need to do is just get a winning ticket. It doesn't matter if you're betting like the college football national championship, if you're betting like Packers versus Bears, what have you, or if you're betting like Nichols versus Stephen F. Austin in college basketball. As long as you're adding money into your bankroll, that is all that matters. So let's take a look at some of the smaller games that are going to be going down on this college football Saturday. One that catches my eye, the Memphis Tigers are going to be playing against the UT San Antonio Roadrunners. We give them a good old meep meep. And for Memphis, they're currently laying three points. You're going to be finding that there's going to be juice on a lot of these threes. I know that a lot of places, it's a minus 120 juice of a three on Memphis. And if you're uncomfortable with the juice, good news is I think that Memphis wins this game by a full touchdown. You take a look at this Tigers bunch and they were able to do a solid job of being able to move the ball on the ground against Mississippi State last weekend. I take a look at Memphis, and you've really got all the goods when it comes to this offense. I do like the fact that they're a team that they don't turn the ball over very often. And when it comes to Memphis, they've really become running back you. Just take a look around the NFL. You've got a bunch of guys that wound up graduating from Memphis that have been able to ex- succeed. And I take a look at Brandon Thomas. I think that he's going to be the X factor in this game against a UTSA bunch. That they've been a little bit spotty on defense. He has been able to already rush for right around over 125 yards per game. Now you've got Seth, now you've got Seth Hennigan for Memphis, who's been able to do a great job of throwing it through the air. I do feel like there needs to be a little bit more of a second target when it comes to Memphis because he has just been throwing it to Calvin Austin the third time and time again, and he has been amazing. Six receiving touchdowns in three weeks. That has been absolutely superb. But then you take a look at UT San Antonio, the Roadrunners, and they wound up having that nice win on the road against Illinois, but. I don't necessarily think Illinois is that good, so I think that it's a little bit more flashy on paper than what it truly is. They were able to take down Middle Tennessee over the weekend by kind of 27 to 13, so they were able to get it done there. But I do take a look at UTSA. I think that they've got some holes in their run defense that Memphis is going to be able to take care of. You do have sort of a revolving door when it comes to who's all going to be getting the carries. You've got Sincere McCormick, who's the main guy, and then you've got a few other guys that they're going to be receiving a couple carries. I know that Frank Harris is a little bit of a combo guy as well. You take a look at the guys on the outside of Joshua Sephiris. It's someone that goes a little bit under the radar. He's already been able to give this team 20 catches, but at the same time, when it comes to this UTSA team, they're not necessarily a team that they get a whole bunch of pressure on the quarterback as well. So I think that Memphis is going to be able to establish a run, be able to get a little bit of play action. I think that that's going to be their undoing. I think that Memphis is really going to be able to get north of 35 points in this matchup, and they're going to be able to get the job done. And when you speak of teams from Conference USA, you've got a big opportunity for one of these teams, not named Southern Miss. Southern Miss, they obviously have a big opportunity against Alabama, but 
I'm not going to be calling for the Golden Eagles to be able to pull off one of the biggest stunners that we would ever see in college football. But you've got Western Kentucky playing also an Indiana bunch at last year. They were one of the darlings of college football. This year, they have not been. Michael Penix Jr., he wound up having his torn ACL towards the end of last year that wound up really costing him. He hasn't necessarily looked right this year. And with Western Kentucky, you're finding them as a nine-point underdog. I threw it out there in the last segment that home underdogs right now, 31-19-3 against the spread this year. I think that you could wind up seeing Western Kentucky be able to get it done here. I do recognize that they're coming off a loss to Army, but having to try to prepare for that run style of Army is just brutally difficult. And you got Bailey Zappay, who's been able to do a nice job at the quarterback spot for the team. He's already thrown for 10 touchdowns, over 800 yards. He has been able to do a great job now. This is a team in which running is very optional at this point, as they do not have a single guy that has amassed more than 45 rush yards. But when you've got guys like Stearns on the outside, it is going to provide you with that deep threat. I think that Western Kentucky is going to do a good job of being able to expose an Indiana secondary that I don't think is very good. Their front seven looked terrible in their first game against Iowa, and I think that we're going to see a lot of the same. So getting nine points with Western Kentucky, I do think is an intriguing spot, and one that I'm going to be taking a look at, and I think that this is a team that's a little bit too short of a favorite in Tulane. They are only one and two, and they're playing against a two and one UAB bunch, but the fact that they're only laying in a lot of spots right now, three points, is a little bit befuddling to me. You take a look at UAB, and I don't think you could take too much from the fact that they got just completely destroyed against Georgia by a count of 56-7 because, well, it's Georgia. But with that said, you take a look at Tulane, and they were able to do a great job in a very adverse situation to start off the year against Oklahoma. It was a game that was supposed to be played in New Orleans. They had to go to Norman, and they wound up only losing that game by five points out. They got absolutely dump-trucked in their last game against Ole Miss. They wound up just not being able to guard the pass, but you take a look at UAB, and this is not a team that I necessarily think is going to be the world's greatest aerial attack. You've got a guy in Michael Pratt, who I think is going to come out, have a nice performance. He's been able to do a solid job all year long with this Tulane bunch. He had a nice game against Oklahoma, and I think that he's going to be able to duplicate that here as yet to throw an interception, which I think is just so critical in this game with UAB. I feel like they're a team that, when it's all said and done, they're going to be a team that they really wind up feasting on turnovers, but they're a team that they're a little bit more turnover or bust when it comes to the defensive side. And then you've got Devin Brumfield, who I think is going to be able to move the ball quite well as well. They haven't looked at him for too many carries, but you can tell that he got a little bit more involved in the offense last week. He wound up not being able to play in week one against Oklahoma. So being able to get him back, being able to get him a couple more carries, I think is going to be very beneficial for this two-lane green wave team. So that is something that I'm going to be taking a look at. And when it comes to totals, I do think that we're going to see a little bit more of a premium once again on the under this week as well, because we remember week one of college football slash week zero. You could lump that in there as well. You just saw it be a big giant underfest the last two weeks. The overs have been able to make a little bit more of a charge. So it's one of these things in which you can tell that when it comes to totals, especially in all forms of football, whether that be NFL, college football, I don't know enough about the CFL to really give you any betting splits there, but it's typically one of these things in which as a lot of people are zigging, you want to be zagging. You want to be sort of fading what is kind of trendy. We wound up seeing it over the last seven days in college football that the over has been hitting right around 57% of the time in the last 75 college football games. We've seen 42 overs. So that is something that I think is very important. And you can tell that bookmakers always do a great job of being able to set these lines and beyond that as well. What bookmakers do a nice job of is they typically have a couple more unders and overs because we always hear from 
folks like Josh Applebaum and company. People always want to be rooting for points. People always want to be looking at touchdowns. If you're looking in basketball, it's a whole bunch of three-pointers. If you're looking in baseball, it's home runs. People always get enamored by offense, and you always want to be just sort of taking a look at that and thinking, okay, how do I wind up getting into the mindset of being able to make some money here, which is why typically when you take a look at these major sports like the NFL, like in college football, it hasn't necessarily been the case as much the last 12 months because I do feel like playing a lot of games without fans wound up throwing off the numbers a little bit and offenses were able to do quite a bit of a better job. But now that the fans are back, typically in these seasons of which you do have fans in major conferences, in major sports in general, you're going to find that the under winds up being more like a 51, 52% clip that it hits at overall for the year because the bookmakers do want to be shading these totals up a little bit more. A total that should maybe be in college in college football, say like a 47, maybe they wind up bumping that up to like a 49, a 49 and a half, and you wind up getting a lot of value to the under because bookmakers know that a lot of people are going to be firing in on these overs. So that's something that I do take a look at. Something else I take a look at as well is just some of these FBS versus FCS games. So you don't have as many of them this week. You will really wind up having a whole bundle of them in the first couple weeks of the season. And they wind up providing a lot of value, but you're going to be noticing that there are going to be a couple on the board, like your Texas Southern versus Rice's, your Miami versus Central Connecticut State. And if you're looking for something, Miami laying 42 points, I actually think is really good. Central Connecticut State lost to like Southern Connecticut State or something like that, a non-D1 school. I mean, we just see the Central Connecticut State team whether it be in college basketball, whether it be in college football, whether it be in tiddlywinks, they just wind up getting dump trucked in every sport. It's a really, really sad state of affairs out there in the great state of Connecticut. So that's one that I actually do take a look at it. I think, wow, 42 points. It's actually a little bit low, but when you see a lot of these teams that they are FBS versus FCS, there typically is a lot of value on being able to take the points because as we know, with a lot of the FBS schools, they are buy games. They're paying for the school to be there. They want to show a little bit of respect towards the end of the game. So that's sort of what I'm going to be taking a look at for this college football Saturday. Now in the final segment, let's wrap it up with a little bit of baseball. I've got a New York Post pick that I'm going to be sharing with you guys. And we've got a whole lot of playoff races at a fever pitch. We're going to be hitting on that next right here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Before you make your next bet, be sure to visit vcin.com to check out the current betting splits data. This new feature gives you insights on where the money and the bets are moving for every single game. You'll be able to see where the public is betting based on the number of tickets and where the money doesn't match up with the public opinion. Data is available for money lines, overs, and unders, along with against the spread bets. Betting splits are another way VSIN is here to make you a smarter, better year-round. Check out today's betting splits for every single game at VSIN.com. It is time to finish up strong here on the Greg Peterson Experience final segment for myself. Big thanks to everyone that has been involved in making this show happen and making this show run. Big shout out to you guys. Been a whole lot of fun and it's going to get a little bit more fun because during the break, I wanted to receive me a text from my wonderful girlfriend who said, you need to buy coffee at the end of the show. I wanted losing money. 
I'm wondering how in the world does this happen? Well, after you wound up dropping me off, there's no games to be bet on because apparently there was going to be my girlfriend and her mom sign up for the sportsbook app over here at Circus Sports, a tremendous sports app, by the way. And it wound up happening that because there were no games up on the board, they wanted some action. So you know what happened? They went to the penny slots. If you've ever listened to Follow the Money and you've heard them run through the amount of money that Vegas makes on penny slots, you know to avoid them. It is just a, it's a sucker's trap. It's a trap every single time. The reason why I'm in these, in this beautiful building, the reason why you have all of them across Vegas is because of the penny slots. Rule number one, don't lose your money at the penny slots. So you've got that going on. So instead of betting the money that you would have at the penny so instead of betting money at the penny slots, how about if I give you some baseball winners instead so that way you're able to make some money instead of going to the penny slots, having 15 minutes of entertainment, and then being wiped out. I do have a New York Post pick that I give out every single day when it comes to Major League Baseball, and we're going to be looking at a prime rivalry. For one, you're going to be able to get a little bit more, at the very least, time value than you get at penny slots. And for two, this is going to be a great game. Nestor Cortez going for the New York Yankees. You've got Nick Pavetta who's going to be going for the Boston Red Sox. And we're right now seeing the New York Yankees as a little bit of an underdog. And when it comes to the New York Yankees, I think that they've got some very good value here. After losing their first seven to the Boston Red Sox in this season series, they are now 7-3 and three in their last 10 as they wound up taking down the Red Sox yesterday by a count of 8-3. to three. This is a team that they're starting to roll. Both of these teams, they've got big-time playoff implications as both of these teams are fighting for those wild-card spots. And I take a look at Nestor Cortez. I do realize that he's given up at least a home run in every one of his starts ever since the beginning of the month of August, but three runs or fewer given up in all but one of his appearances for Nick Pavetta. The sample size that he has against the New York Yankees is small, and boy, is it terrible. He has gotten five total outs, not five innings, five outs against the Yankees, and he's given up four runs in that time span, just not good to say the least. You've got a Yankees bunch of You've got a trio of guys with at least 30 home runs. John Carlos Sand, Joey Gallo, along with Aaron Judge, and all these guys are firing on all cylinders. Now, you've got a Boston Red Sox team, which Hunter Renfro has been a nice surprise for this team. You've been able to get quite a bit of something out of Sander Borgards. He's been arguably a top-five player in the American League so far this year, but I did take a look at the spot him for the Boston Red Sox as well. They did wind up having to dive into their bullpen a little bit because they weren't able to get the world's greatest start tonight either, so... That is something that is certainly going to be playing into this thing as you wind up having to have Martin Perez come in for very long relief after Nathan Eovaldi wound up lasting fewer than three innings. So that puts them behind the eight ball. Hurakazu Saramura wound up getting used up. So the Yankees bullpen is in better standing as well. And plus you're getting the plus price with the New York Yankees in this spot as well. So my New York post play today. I am going with the New York Yankees on the money line. If you're someone that gets a post, you'll be seeing that in a couple hours. So you'll be seeing a little bit more of what I just wound up talking about. But also taking a look at the MLB betting board, I think that's going to be very intriguing to see what we wind up getting out there in Oakland because the A's, after they wound up having a four-game sweep, not that they swept the four-game series, they got swept in four games against the Seattle Mariners. They're going to be going up against the Houston Astros after they were able to pummel them by kind of 14-2. Friday night, you've got Framber Valdez, who's going to be hitting the mound for the 
Houston Astros. Meanwhile, it's going to be Sean Manea going for the Oakland A's. And you've got a relative pick and price here on the open with the Oakland A's. Seems like money is coming in on the Houston Astros, and rightfully so. I think that the Astros should be more like about a minus 130-ish favorite in this spot. You take a look at Fran Valdez. He's actually got a better ERA on the road than he does at home. And with Sean Manea, it has been a hot mess for him, to say the least, ever since the beginning of the month of August. This is someone that has an ERA that is hovering right around 7. He's been giving up home run after home run. He's actually been worse at home than he has been on the road as well, which has been really befuddling. We've noticed this with a lot of the Oakland A's pitchers. With Oakland, it's typically very pitcher-friendly when it comes to the nighttime. Not during the daytime. It's a little bit more hitter-friendly. Big reason for this is because over there by the Bay Area, you wind up having the marine layer that winds up coming out during the nighttime. So balls that typically will be going out to the, during the daytime, they wind up having only warning track power during the nighttime. But what we've also noticed with the Oakland A's, this bullpen has been absolutely terrible the last 30 days. Ever since the beginning of the middle of August, it's been a situation which they've got an ERA north of five, and they've been in the bottom eight in the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA, ranking with like the teams like the Baltimore Orioles and company. There's just no way that you're able to take a shot on the Oakland A's, in my opinion, in this spot. I'm going to be taking a look at the Houston Astros, and I wind up mentioning the Baltimore Orioles. I'm actually going to be taking a look at them against the Texas Rangers. The Texas Rangers, going into last night, they had scored three runs or fewer in eight straight games. They've got a guy in Deolis Garcia, who's right now leading the team with 30 home runs, but he's only belted out three of them in the last three days, so he has been badly scuffling. And you've got a guy in Jordan Lyles that has just been giving up the deep ball left and right. This is a man that has given up 37 to 38 home runs so far this year. He's going up against one player who's actually performed very well for the Baltimore Orioles. You haven't had a lot of bright spots with this team, especially when it comes to the pitching, but the Baltimore Orioles are 4-1 and one in, the last five in the last five starts of Chris Ellis, and Chris Ellis, in his last four starts, has given up three runs or fewer in every one of them. He's come over from the Kansas City Royals, and he's actually lended a little bit of something, and you've got a pair of good measures for this Baltimore Orioles team in Cedric Mullins along with Ryan Mountcastle. Both of these guys will be able to provide you with 30 home runs. Now, Trey Mancini, who we all remember from the home run derby, giving good chase there. He has been in and out of the fold recently. He's someone that's coming off of actually colon cancer, so you really give him a lot of credit for the way that he's gutted it out this year. He's been in and out of the fold, but taking his spot, you've seen Austin Ace do a very good job for this Orioles team as well. And then when you take a look at the Texas Rangers, there's just really nothing that is going right for this team. It has been absolutely deplorable what we've seen from them. The bullpen has been a little bit better. Joe Barlow has been able to give you a couple solid innings, but I believe that he wound up getting used out of the bullpen Friday night as well. So he's unlikely to be an option. So that is something that you don't necessarily want to be a part of. But if you're looking for a plus money underdog that you might want to be a little bit more of a part of, I'm going to be taking a look at the lone interleague game. You've got Sandy Alcantara and the Miami Marlins hitting the road to face off against the Tampa Bay Rays and Shane McClanahan. McClanahan has been very solid for the Tampa Bay Rays. Three runs of fear given up in 12 out of his last 14 starts. But you've also got Sandy Alcantara, who I recognize with his like 3-1-5-ish ERA. His ERA is more like a four on the road, but he's been able to do a good job of being able to up his strikeout numbers from past years. You've got a Miami Marlins team that they actually bet him up with a relatively solid bullpen. Dylan Flora has been able to give you some good innings. Anthony Bender. list goes on and on. The Miami Marlins are a top 10 bullpen, as we know the Tampa Bay Rays are as well, but they're without one of their key pieces right now. Andrew Kittredge, who has a sub-2 ERA, is currently on the injured list. They've been dealing with an injury to Wander Franco as well. He wound up having a 38-game history before he was put on the injured list. Now, 
with the Tampa Bay Rays. They do a good job of being able to belt out the long ball. Three guys with 30-plus home runs. Nelson Cruz, Brandon Lau, you're able to throw in their Mike Zanino as well, and Austin Meadows, who's got right around 25, 26 bombs. He's been able to give you 100-plus RBI. And with the Tampa Bay Rays, what makes this team so pesky is that you've got a bunch of guys that they'll be hitting like a 240, 250, and then their on-base percentage is going to be a 350. You notice that with someone like a G-Man Choi, who's hitting about a 240 for the year, his on-base percentage is like a 360. You've got Yandy Diaz hitting about a 255 with more like a 360 on-base. I mean, the list of guys that do this go on and on, but what has been good for this Miami Marlins team is that you got a guy in Asu Sanchez who's been able to step up. He's got nine home runs over the last 30 days for this team. And it's been much needed because you've had Jesus Aguiar who has just not been out there on the field for this Miami Marlins team. There was actually a point in the middle of August that he was leading the National League in RBI. He's got 89 for the year, north of 20 home runs. Without him in the fold, Jazz Chislam is now the only player for the Miami Marlins along with what we've been seeing out of Sanchez that has north of 10 home runs, but he's really been a godsend for this team. This is a Miami Marlins team that I think that when you're getting right around a plus 180-ish like we've been seeing most of the night on this game, that they're going to be able to provide a little bit of value. And then it's going to be really intriguing to see what the San Diego Padres wind up doing as well because it's going to be Uskar you know, who's going to be going for the Atlanta Braves, a team that only leads the Philadelphia Phillies by a game and a half. And for the San Diego Padres, they are now, if you don't include their suspended game, 11 and 28 in their last 39 games. We wound up seeing a DraftKings opener on this game at San Diego minus 140. I can't think that that's still going to be available. This is going to be a situation which I'll probably be taking a look at the Atlanta Braves regardless because this is going to be a pseudo bullpen game for the Padres because they really have no choice, but you have a choice as to where to listen to, and you chose the Greg Peterson experience tonight. I really do appreciate it. Big shout out to everyone behind the scenes who made this possible, and we're going to be coming at you very early in the morning, giving you everything that you need for a college football Saturday right here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network in the morning. Work in the morning as Femi Obebefe and company are going to have you taken in the AM.